0: Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. The Word of God tells us that there's nothing spoken in secret that shall not be shouted from housetops. Every word that we speak in private, the Lord holds us accountable for as well as words in public. We are warned in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 20 that we're not supposed to curse the king in our hearts, nor the rich in our bedchambers because we're supposed to give honor to both categories of men. We want to talk about marital use of speech, and I want to remind you of the seriousness of our words spoken in private that other people don't get to hear, but your wife hears, and your children likely have figured out as well, even when you try to keep them from them, that is, the words from your children. Jesus said, in verse 34, O generation of vipers, How can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified. And by thy words, thou shalt be condemned. Let us make sure that starting from our hearts, we say good words to our spouse. We're going to give an account for every idle word. And idle words fly out of our mouths about our spouses easier than anyone else in life. And that's a shame. The familiarity that breeds contempt that leads us to that is terrible. We want these verses to govern how we speak to our spouses. Your lips, your mouth, your tongue, all of which are addressed in the Song of Solomon can affect your marriage, but far more by the noise they make, the words they speak, the way that we address each other. Men and women are one, are loved, are kept, and are thrilled by words said to them. Forget the facts of life, as I started out two weeks ago, and it's been two weeks since we are on this subject. Forget the birds and the bees, which are idioms for sexual instruction. Remember the fact of life. The fact of life is the importance of speech. Communication is one of the most important advantages or disadvantages in a marriage. How well communication takes place, how kind and loving, and how thorough and complete, and how informative and helpful that communication is. Dale Carnegie taught that the sweetest sound in any language is a person's own name. And there's an element of truth in that, of just kindly saying someone's name. Both men and women are affected greatly by the words that are spoken by their spouse. Seduction is achieved easily and most often by speech and words than any other way. I'm talking about real seduction. Mating is not seduction. Seduction. So forget bodies. Mating is not seduction. It's cheap seduction. Real seduction is getting a heart and a soul. You can only get it with words. You don't get it with a body. That's mating. Understand the difference. We're married, or we're going to be married, if you're not married in this assembly, and you want to treat your spouse with words in a right way to win that spouse, to honor that spouse, and to build your marriage and make it a more passionate marriage by the use of words. And it's done. And it's men have done it, women have done it, and the Bible speaks of it for both sexes, and the Song of Solomon is filled with it in both directions as the husband addresses his wife, and the wife addresses her husband, and in words that we never use toward the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has never used toward us. Because we're describing details of human bodies. But we say them in superlatives because we're going to flatter a spouse. And flattery toward a spouse isn't the flattery that the Bible describes of getting someone by excessive praise to do something wrong. In a marriage, we're not using excessive praise to get someone to do something wrong. We're wanting to make their life as peaceful, pleasant, prosperous, and joyful as possible. So we flatter. It's not flattery in marriage. Go look up the definition of flattery, figure it out so that you can understand that there's a place for flattery. Oh, and is there flattery in the Song of Solomon? Because you can assume that there are two tens there, maybe 11s, the way they talk about each other. <laughs> but they're not. And the, and the book has no value for us as we look at it and compare it to marriages where we have 8s, 6s, and 4s. But we can still talk about each other that way, and it's a choice nine. in your heart to be able to do it. Right. A, nine can des- a 5 can describe a 9 as a 10 by a choice. And we want to learn that. It's a wonderful thing. The power of words. Rejection and hurt and pain are also accomplished as quickly when a wife is snotty, snooty, disrespectful, resisting, rebellious, stubborn, and undermines the authority of the husband God put in an office far above her. She blew it twice. Every woman blew it twice. You blew it first time by getting created second. Well, we couldn't help that one. Okay, I'll give that to you. You couldn't help that one. You were created second. The second reason that you should support your husband verbally is because you failed in the Garden of Eden by being stupid enough to believe the devil, that you could be like God. Paul tells us both reasons in 1 Timothy chapter 2 as to why women are supposed to be subordinate to husbands. The woman was created second, and she blew it. Adam did not get deceived by the devil at all. He did not think he was going to become God. He wanted to go with Eve, and so he chose Eve over God. The sin was worse, if we're really honest, but it didn't show an ability to be deceived like a woman has. So women, you can undermine your man so easily with words, resisting words. Words that you would not use with your father, probably words that you would not use with your boss. You would not toss your head and use your snotty answers toward a boss like sometimes happens to a husband and it undermines the marriage. It creates bitterness. It creates conflict and it leads to revenge. So, and I want to be more positive this time than two weeks ago, words are powerfully beneficial to a relationship. Right. Right. And they can be powerfully hurtful to a relationship. We want to remember both, but we want to emphasize the good things that can be done by good words. I said so many things last time, and I hope that you can remember some of them. I want to look at the book of, the Bi- the book of Proverbs in the Bible and see some of those verses for us there. So let's go to the book of Proverbs now and see some verses. And the reason, you know, I could tell you stories and I could tell you scientific findings and I could tell you survey results and things like that, but so what? What does God say? That's why I told you in the Friday update and in the preparatory email, let's hear what God says about speech. And so we want to turn first to Proverbs. We'll get to the Song of Solomon. But I want to start with the book of Proverbs. Chapter 10. Now, I just gave you a few. Remember, I have a table in front of me with 42 references from the book of Proverbs. And it's not all of them. It's just a good-sized sample of the verses in the book of Proverbs about communication. Chapter 10 and verse 32 the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaketh frowardness. Froward in the Bible is a word for naughty or wicked, bad, evil words. So the mouth of the wicked speaketh frowardness. They got naughty speech, disrespectful, snotty, snooty speech, Or, or on the man's part, harsh, overbearing, critical, negative, derogatory, bad comparisons. That's that's the, heart of, that's the mouth of a wicked person. It shouldn't be in any of our marriages. Right. Never. Women, why do you ever talk back to your husband? Who do you think you are? Wait till you meet Jesus Christ. You will give an account because that's an evil, idle word that's come out of your mouth. The Lord judges those that speak against civil rulers, that speak against bosses, that speak against fathers. What happened to a son that cursed his father? What happened to a daughter that cursed her father or her mother? Stoned. Flat-out capital punishment in the Bible. And every woman wants to be honored by her children. Well, she needs to give that honor to her husband. And if it's the husband that we're looking at, and we look at the second half of this verse, frowardness, naughty, wicked, criticizing, body, anything that your wife does, ridiculing her, sarcastic, snotty, negative, hurtful, harmful. You would never talk to your pet deer that way. And even though none of us have never ever had a pet deer, we should be able to think about what a pet deer would be like, especially that small little species of deer that the Bible refers to in Proverbs chapter five and verse 19, when it says, let your, let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. The roe is a little tiny deer and a hind is a female deer. So you've got this little pet female deer. Are you going to go out there and punch it in the nose? Are you going to go out there and scream at it like a Doberman pincher that just went twice in the carport? How are you going to talk? The Bible tells us. Right. It's the mouth of the wicked right here. And, you know, this is one of 42 verses. The first half is the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. There is accept- acceptable speech and acceptable words that show respect. So a woman ought to use them. Show reverence. A woman ought to use them. There are acceptable words that can win a woman, so a husband ought to use them. They're acceptable. Oh, yes. I wish my husband talked to me that way. A woman could say because she overhears or hears that another husband used acceptable words. This is God speaking to us as husband and wives. Now, we know that Proverbs 10.32 governs all our speech. We know that Matthew 12 governs all our speech, but for the sake of this sermon series, it's about the way we talk to our spouses. And if the truth be told, and I've already said it once, and I hope you agree with it, that we're usually looser, and we throw out hurtful things to our spouses more than anyone else. Thank you, James. You're a great brother. And I allowed you to get up and confess my sins to the whole congregation. (laughs) Let's just let's be perfectly honest. When I'm in my flesh, even a little bit of it, I can say things to my wife of 41 years that I would never say to another woman in here. Now I know that all of you are sitting there thinking, "I cannot believe he just said that. That never happens in our home. He must be Judas Iscariot." It's terrible. But it's good to think about it once in a while and just slow down and calm down. 1032 is one. Let's go to chapter 12. Chapter 12 and verse 13. The wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips, but the just shall come out of trouble. Now look at the contrast. Remember what a proverb is like. It's very often a contrast of two clauses. One clause tells us a good thing, and the other clause is but, tells us the opposite thing. In this particular clause, the wicked, in verse 13, the wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips. We put a trap and snare our marriages and pull them down and tear them up and destroy them by the way we talk. Or, in the second half of verse 13, the just shall come out of trouble. We get rid of trouble in our marriage and strife in our marriage and contention by improving our speech. Because 12.13 is about his lips. Lips. What we say. You know, wife, you get upset. He does something that irritates you and it hurts. And so you bite back. Try it at work. They'll fire you. And wait till you meet the Lord for, smack, for, for biting back at your husband. And husbands, when you bite your wife, you're biting the little deer. Why are you biting that little deer? Right. From now on, when you come out in the yard, is the little deer going to bound up to you and lick your hand? No, the little deer is going to be cowering over in the corner. And you're going to say, it's time. I need some sugar. But the little deer is over in the corner because you've scared it. Because you yelled at it. And because they sit in this church, they're going to walk slowly over towards you with their head down, not sure what's going to happen to them because they're going to try to be good wives because you've bit them with your wicked mouth. Did I say it was going to be positive? (laughs) I did that just to release the tension. It's the word of God. These verses are fantastic. You know, we know the verses are written here that cover all of our speech, no matter where we are, and we get in trouble. We get snared by what comes out of our mouth. Why did I say that? You know, I've damaged my little deer. Now it's going to take me a cream soda and peanut M&Ms to make up for it. Remember, I've got a cheap date for 41 years. The point, look at the verse. I want these verses. That's all it takes. Oh you got second-rate wife. <laughs> you know how I mean that. Cheap. Lord, these verses, let them speak to us as your word to us about marriage. Right. We cause trouble in our marriage and snare ourselves by letting things fly. But the just shall come out of trouble, and that's a just man that speaks appropriately. That was 12.13. Now, 12.25. I put this in the Friday update, I believe. Look at, look at 1225. Heaviness in the heart of man, or a woman, or a wife, or a husband, maketh it stoop. Discouragement. But a good word maketh it glad. Look at how cheap it is to lift somebody by a good word. A good word can make someone glad whose heart is discouraged. And your wife can be discouraged, or a husband can be discouraged for all sorts of reasons. And if I have to give you specifics, then we're not adults here. Because the Bible doesn't give specifics. The Bible does this, and it gives us a principle that our hearts get stooped down and weighed down and are discouraged about things, but a good word can make it glad. And it's our job to make our spouses glad. Now, I know we didn't get started well right now but I'll try to make up for it the remainder of the day after what I told on us, me. Look at, the, look at that verse. It's wonderful. And there are so many verses like this in the book of Proverbs. Look at 13.2. 13.2. A man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth. Do you want a good marriage? It depends on your mouth. But the soul of the transgressors shall eat violence. Do you want strife and a lack of peace and joy and pleasantness and romance in your marriage? Then let's say anything you want to. Let's govern our speech, especially with our spouses. Just think, if we become super gracious and kind, flattering with our spouses, this church is just going to explode. Because you're always going to do better at church than you do at home. But let's start at home. You know how many I can multiply here of these kind of verses? Let's go to the next verse, thirteen three. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. Well, we can change that. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his marriage. But he that openeth wide his lips, that's let fly out what's ever in there, shall have destruction. We destroy our marriages. We destroy the romance, the excitement, the passion that we could have by words, words, words. Lips, mouth, and tongue. You know I got you last Sunday for about three minutes by talking about lips, mouth, and tongue. And they're used for other things than words in the Song of Solomon, but I want the words that come out of them. Because words are the number one way to charm a person, man or woman. Move them, win them, and make them happy. It's words. Lord, help us to be better at it. Look at 16, chapter 16. I don't have to go very far and I've already skipped over a bunch in 14 and 15. Chapter 16, and verse 13, Righteous lips are the delight of kings. If you can make a king happy with words, then what about a spouse? Let's do it. And they love him that speaketh right. A king. You can win a king by words. According to the text, is God right? Is this Psalm 12, 6, and 7, the words of the Lord are pure words? Does it work? If you can win a king, you can win your husband. You say, I don't think he's winnable anymore. Well, I'm sorry that you've been such a terrible wife. If he's not winnable anymore, you should be able to win him. Words win men. Words can win kings. That's why we're that's why we're looking at the verse. Lord, we are letting you speak to us about our marriages. Righteous lips are the delight of spouses, and they love him or her that speaketh right. 16. In chapter 16, look at verse 24. Look at this one. I put this in the Friday update, I believe. Pleasant words are as in honeycomb. Forget peanut M&Ms. A honeycomb. Super sweet. Sweeter than sugar. Have you ever had honeycomb? And actually chewed on honeycomb? It's pretty neat stuff. Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bones. Now back there in 1225, when we looked at it, it said, in 1225, that a good word maketh it glad. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop. But a good word can make a heart glad, or we can be health to the soul, and we can be health to the bones. That's why I wrote in the update... We can, have, we can do heart surgery on a spouse. We can do heart surgery, give them a psychological analysis and, and correction, and we can be an orthopedic surgeon. We can do the bones, the heart, and the psyche of our spouse by words without going to medical school. By words. Lord, help us to have those words. Amen. How did Shechem get Dinah in Genesis chapter 34? He spoke kindly, kindly to the maid. He spoke kindly to her. That's how a man wins a girl. The L word we call it. When are you going to drop the L word? Well, I've already dropped the M word. Well, you got things out of order and you're going a little fast. I can remember talking to my good friend, Dolph Painter, when he met Melanie Danger. And at what moment did you drop the L word? That's the love word. And at what moment did you drop the M word? Because those words are very weighty. Lord help us to use them better. Look at 1624. Pleasant words are as in honeycomb. You can bring sweetness into your marriage. You can sweeten up your spouse's soul. And you can give strength to your spouse's bones. A man or a woman with pleasant words. Pleasant words pleasant words kind words gentle words good words flattering words praise filled words look at Titus chapter 2 Titus chapter 2 now there's 3 verses in Titus chapter 2 about women but I'm going to go to a different verse in Titus chapter 2 than the ones that we usually go to for women Verses 3 and five, three through 5 are for women. It's what older women are to teach younger women about how to be great women. And it's to love their husbands and it's to be obedient to their husbands. They're taught in verses 3 through 5. But I want verses 9 and 10. It's about servants, but it applies to anyone under authority. We expect it of our children. We expect it toward our government. And this is servants. It's not even either of those two spheres. They exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. When you go to work, you should be obedient unto your supervisors, managers, and employer, and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Wives, don't answer again. Don't talk back. When we want your opinion, we'll ask for it. You say, that sounds so rough. Are you kidding me? All five spheres of authority operate that way. What's so rough about it? Do you want your child to talk back to you? Mothers, what do you do to your children when they talk back to you? Don't tell me. It might be recorded. You don't like it. Don't do it to your husband. That's another verse in the Bible about speech. Look at Proverbs 18. Let's go back and get a different kind of a verse. It's not going to say speech, but it's going to tell us about the consequences of bad speech. I just picked on the women by Titus two 9. Don't answer back. If your husband is successful on the job, he doesn't answer back. If he's not very successful, we may have, but that still doesn't give you leave to do it. Because we can't answer back either on the job, because it applies to us, Titus 2, nine. But look at Proverbs 18 and verse 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. So, a wife offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. So you want to go ahead and offend your wife with rough, harsh, sarcastic, critical, comparing speech? Then bear the consequences of it. The Bible speaks about our language throughout. And we can do better, and Lord, we want to do better. I showed you last Lord's Day that from Matthew chapter 5, the commandment, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not kill, the sixth commandment is violated by name-calling. When you call your spouse a name, many more examples could be raised. Look at Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. I've left Proverbs. There were 42. I gave you about 4, maybe 5. But look at the last book of the Old Testament and let's see if there's a general principle there that should get our attention about how we deal with our spouses. Dutiful, being dutiful is good. Being willing is good. I've heard wives say, I'm always willing. Big deal. No one in love is willing. Anyone in love is passionately crazy. They're over the top obsessed. Willing is pitiful. And it doesn't work with God or men. Or women. We want to be more than willing. We want to be passionate. One of the things I want us to get out of the Song of Solomon, and especially is the passion that is in the Song of Solomon, on the part of both spouses. Malachi chapter 1 is about the way Israel was worshiping God. Follow with me. I'll start at 6, verse 6. I could read all the way to the end. I just want to read a couple verses, lest it distract you. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. Honor. If I then be a father, God speaking, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Sayeth the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. My husband isn't worth a passionate wife. I would never say that. You do it by your actions. Because that's what we're saying to the Lord, and the priests were saying the priests weren't actually saying those words to the Lord. When it says in verse 7, in that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. They weren't saying those words. It was offering polluted bread that was saying those words. And when a wife does less than her best, she is saying, you're not worthy of a wife. When a husband doesn't give his wife the best, he is saying to her, I'm just stuck married to you. Get it. It's the way the Lord describes our treatment of him by bringing him less than our best. Do you remember how this chapter runs? Look at the last verse that you know what's in between. Verse 14, Cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male. Okay? I'm, I'm talking to the males right now, and I'm not using it from this word male. I'm talking to the males. You could give your wife a more passionate husband, but you don't. But anyway, you've got a a flock, and you've got a male in your flock, and you vow a vow to the Lord, and you sacrifice unto the Lord a corrupt thing. Instead of bringing the Lord your good, sound, without blemish, male, you bring him a blind sheep and offer it to the Lord. You offer a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. We want to give the Lord the best. Now here's how the Lord reasons. Let's go back to verse 8. And if he offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if he offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. That is why I use all five spheres of authority, because it's one of the best ways of reasoning with you about how you should treat your spouses. Offer it now unto thy governor. The Lord is saying, I have a problem with the way you're worshiping me. You're not worshiping me passionately and wanting to give me the best. Try it on your governor. Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person? Saith the Lord of hosts. No, a governor will not accept a second-rate gift. So you have a blind sheep that you've got to lead around, a blind sheep, and you bring it to the governor. I'd like to give you a gift, sir. How does that go over? You know it, it wouldn't go over. And the Lord is saying that about his worship. I'm saying it about your marriage. When you give your spouse less than your best, what are you saying? This marriage stinks. It's not worth my effort. You stink. You're not worth my effort because we're not giving the best. And a spouse offended, a brother offended, is harder to be one than a walled city. You made your own mess. How are you going to undo it? We need to go cut some of those bars down. What are you going to cut them down with? What's going to work the best? Some very good words, and you're going to need some really good ones because you've already built a cage in the middle of your marriage. Forgive us, Lord. I don't, I don't care if you're a willing wife. What kind of a wife is that? For a few bucks, we can get someone more willing than your willingness. How about Passion. The Lord wants our best. Right. Come on. You don't want to be willing. That woman in, the, in Song of Solomon's more than willing. She's chasing him all over town. She's telling everybody that she knows. To, Can you find him? Where is he who my soul loveth? I want him. I want him now. He's the best. That's what we want in our marriages. Lord, he, may, he gave us something spectacular in the Garden of Eden. Okay, let's go to the Song of Solomon. I know you wanted to get there. Just hurry up and get over with. We'll go there for a couple of minutes and go home and see if you can put it into practice. What are we going to look for in the Song of Solomon? Body parts? Not necessarily. What do we want to find? We want to find verbal communication. And the way they talked. And that's why I had you read those two chapters last night. It wasn't an, a lesson in anatomy, though you ended up with one in chapter seven. It's, it's the words. These two are fantastic. This is God's word and the romance book that he put in the Bible. There isn't a word in either testament about it being spiritual. If we draw, we will draw secondarily and by our own presumption on God's word, because there isn't a word about it being some spiritual lesson. If you're going to make, did I say this already a few weeks ago? If you're going to make the Song of Solomon spiritual, what are you going to do with Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 19? Is that what you're going to do there as well? Since you're trying to escape God's authority, I know what you're doing, you're trying to escape God's authority in your life for changing your marriage. Proverbs 5.19, let her be as the loving hind in pleasant row. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. Tell me how you're going to apply that to Jesus and the church so that you can escape the force of the verse. It's the hardest verse in the Old Testament for men. Colossians 3.19 is the hardest verse in the New Testament for men, and it doesn't have a spiritual lesson. What's the verse in the New Testament? Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Boy, those two verses are, are tough verses. Proverbs 5.19 and Colossians 3.19. Are they really hard to do? No. All we have to do is repent and come clean before the Lord and ask for the power of the Holy Spirit in us, read the Word of God, see the Song of Solomon and what two people can have, and go do it. Amen. We, have, we have women that will respond in this church. Amen. Women, help me. Respond. <laughs> Please. Okay, Song of Solomon, I'm as scared as you are. <laughs> just, a few, just a few examples of speech. Let's go back to chapter 1 so I can repeat myself. That's safe territory, I guess. No one called for my resignation after two weeks ago. Chapter 1, verse 3. Because of the savour of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Anybody that hears about you Honey, they just love you. Everyone loves you. That's powerful. That's wonderful. The virgins love thee. Everyone loves you. Everyone wishes they were married to you. Wives, when was the last time you told your husband that? You say, well, that'd be stretching it a little. (laughs) That's why I had to say the flattery was okay. (laughs) They did it. Well, it was probably Solomon. Who wanted to be married to Solomon? Well, I guess they did. I guess they had to. A thousand of them did it in various degrees. But look at at that. The virgins love you. All the women love you. Then verse 7, "'Tell me, O thou, whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon.'" This is the woman talking. "'For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions?' No one compares to you. That's what a wife should say to a husband. If a man hears that a few times, there won't be too many to compare to him because he's going to want to do better. He's going to be highly motivated by his cheerleader that God gave him. And this is a cheerleader. No one compares to you. How many have heard the song? Nobody wants to admit they're a Judas except me. Does anybody else want to admit that they've ever heard the song, Nothing Compares to You? Thanks a lot. <laughs> I feel very exposed. I'm in deep trouble now. You know, I couldn't help it. Teenage years, bang, back into my head. I just thought it was, it was great. Sherry, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you everything now. <laughs> Sherry was shopping. I cheated and listened to a little old music. Nothing compares to you. That's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> that's what I told her when she got home. We should talk that way. I was, I'm studying these verses. I want to see what do they say to each other that's exceptional? What do they say to each other that could be said? What do they say to each other that I should say to Sherry? What can we learn from this about passion in words? And it is... Why should I be as one that turneth aside with the flocks of thy companions? I need specific directions for where you are because I don't want to waste any time with anyone else because no one compares to you. He speaks to her. Verse 8. If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tent. He gives her instructions. But we want the first half. O thou fairest among women, you are my babe. You are beautiful. You are the most beautiful woman. You are fantastic. A man should say it. He said it. What's it in the Bible for? Beautiful. Look at verse 9. I have compared thee, O oh my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. Now some of you may not know very much about horses, and you look at that and you say, that's pitiful. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'd be flattered by a statement like that or not, but you need those are the two best horses in the world that would be in Pharaoh's chariot. And just looking at some of those horses that they brought out for the Kentucky Derby a week ago or so, whenever it was. Carrie, did you get to see that? Oh, come, anyway. Adam. <laughs> um, those horses are beautiful. The curves on a beautiful racehorse, a thoroughbred racehorse that has great bloodlines is a beautiful thing. And the, the chest on those things and the narrow waist and the, the power in the rear end I mean, they're beautiful. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't know God very well. Or the book of Job, because God loves the horse. And when you see one of those things, it is beautiful. And when they light it up, and and it doesn't take much, all they got to do is let that gate go, and those things fly out of there. They're beautiful. But Pharaoh's chariot would have the two best horses in Egypt. And so they were beautiful. Curves, color, color. Strength, beauty, features, fine features, all of it was there. And so they're saying very nice things about each other, and the man is saying it about, I've compared, listen, if a man ever compares his wife to another woman and makes her inferior by the comparison, he is an idiot in every sense of the word. He is destroying his own marriage. And it's a shame that his wife is still with him. Although it's not grounds for a biblical divorce. But it's a shame. Because the comparison I have compared thee, O oh my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. You are the best. And we should be able to say that and do that. You know, sometimes husbands will do something very cruel and make comparisons to another woman. Never should that happen. Chapter two, she speaks to him again, 2:16. "My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. We'll work on the first half of the verse. "You are my <laughs> You are mine. I'm yours. I'm all yours. You're all mine. They're wonderful words. My beloved, I love him so much, he's mine. I have him. I have you, And I am his, I'm all his." Verse 17. Until the day break and the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young hart upon the mountains of Bethar. Until the day break, make love all night with me. I'm so happy to have you. I'm in love with you. You're my love, you're all mine, and I'm all yours. Let's take all night. It's just beautiful language to each other. He speaks to her, Two ten. My beloved spake and said unto me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. 210. My love, hey, babe, let's get away. Let's go do something. Let's let's have a date. Let's get away from here. I want to get you away from the kids. I want to get you away from the chores. Let's go do something. It's It's beautiful. My love, it's 2:10. It's right there. My beloved spake and said unto me. This is the woman speaking about what her husband said to her. Rise up. Come on. Get up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Let's go do something fun together. If you've let, if you've let the fun get out of your marriage, then get the fun back in your marriage by verse, words like this. Let's go do something fun together. Come on. Let's get up. Let's spend the day with each other. Thank you, kids, for growing up and getting married. Appreciate it, all of you. Two fourteen. O my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. Let me see you, babe. Would you wear that again? Would you wear that outfit that you wore last week again? Could I see you when you are? You are fantastic. Can we just talk? Can we go for a little walk and have a little talk and see where that leads? Because I love just listening to you. Listen to these lovers. It's in the word of God. Sweet is thy voice. Thy countenance is comely. She speaks, 3-1. By night on my bed, I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. When I was in bed, I wanted my man with me. I sought him. Yeah, I love him. I wanted him with me in bed is where I'm thinking about him. I, f- I looked for him, but I couldn't find him. Verse 4, it was but a little, wh- a little that I passed from them, that's the watchmen that are in the city, it was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. 3-4, I I would not let him go until fully happy. I was not going to shortcut anything. I wanted to go on as long as it could. I held him, and I wasn't going to let him go. We're going to have a wonderful time together. This is the passion and love of God's word for husband and wives. This is how they talk about each other. This is how they talk to each other. We can do better. We use harsh words. We yell and hit the little deer. She hides next to the fence. You lose. I lose. Why did I do that? Why did you do that? You're sullen. You're mopey. You're critical. You're negative. You're sarcastic. Who in the world wants to be married to you? That's not how you win a woman. Right. Do you know what you would do with a little pet deer? You'd be at the hardware. You'd be at the zoo. You'd be online. You'd be Googling to find out the favorite food for that little thing. So, that, I meant that respectfully. So that you could find the food for that little deer to make it happy. You would speak to it gently. You'd pet it. You would ask them, what kind of brush should I use? so that I can brush its fur just the right way. You're not going to brush it backward, are you? Cats never liked it when I did that at home. <laughs> we can do better. Lord, help us do better. Look at one. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. I well, might as well just stop right there. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. 4 1. look at the description and it goes on down through here and it's the man describing the woman and he goes after every feature she's got thou art fair my love thou art fair her eyes her hair her locks her temple her teeth her neck her lips her breasts her neck her hips it goes on all the details because we love to hear the details about being pleasing to someone else and someone else being pleased with us. 4.7, you know, says, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. I love every bit of you. Those are just wonderful words. In four, nine, thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. When you look at me with one eye saying that you're all mine, you ravish me. And that's what we're commanded to let the wife do in Proverbs 5:19. Be thou ravished always with her love. Let her love be enough to keep you from thinking about any other woman and let that love overwhelm you and ravish you. And here the man is actually saying it to her. You've ravished my heart. My sister, my spouse, thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes. I didn't even need both of them looking at me. Just one of them ravishes me one chain of your neck one little aspect of your delicate little feminine neck thank you lord for the book of song of solomon amen she's an adoring aggressive erotic flattering initiating praising passionate romantic lover with words all those things with words making herself available for him and chasing him down passionate eager aggressive he matches her every verbal way doting with encouraging comparisons and superlative praise for her appearance and the details, her eyes, her speech, her lovemaking. These are two people that are properly married. We live in America in 2018, same-sex marriages, just unbelievable confusion, dysfunction, abomination, contrary to everything God has said. Let's have these kind of marriages. And And it's our words. You know, one of the verses I didn't go to is Proverbs 10, 19 and 20. Charlie and I had a conversation at break time. Sometimes we just shouldn't say anything. You know what it says there in those verses? In a multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. And it says, he that refraineth his lips is wise. Rather than say something that would hurt, rather than say something that would cause confusion, don't say anything. Just wait until you get your wits together and can say something positive, passionate, and romantic. And go for it again. These tools that God gave us are more for masticating food and more for nibbling earlobes. Oh, Lord, forgive me, but they're for forming words, and words are powerful. Words are weighty. They can destroy. The Bible says they have the power of life and the power of death. They can destroy a marriage. They can put romantic life into it. Lord help us.